Welcome to In the Active Site, the podcast where you meet the brightest minds in the field of biocatalysis and biotransformations. My name is Christoph Winkler, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with Matthias Pickel. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, we have the pleasure to talk to Elina Sirola, who works as a principal scientist at Novartis Pharma in Basel. Welcome, Elina. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. Also here with us is my co-host, Matthias. Welcome, Matthias, also. It's great to be here again, Christoph. Welcome, Elina, also from my side. Uh, Elina is working in Novartis, so she's doing their supportive work for drug discovery and development projects. And actually, she's doing protein engineering there and uh, gene selection for biocatalyst portfolios. So she's very close, actually, to application of uh, novel biocatalytic methods, and uh, she's even developing new ones. It's always great to have people on the podcast uh, uh, that we all know what people in the industry are thinking of the progress in biocatalytic research. So you are giving a lecture at the Biotrans 2021, but uh, is this actually your first Biotrans, Helena? No, not at all. So actually the first one I think I attended was the 2009 one in Bern in Switzerland. So, but I think the past couple of ones I have missed actually. So it's really cool to be back and I'm looking forward. Super cool that you're back. Uh, so you actually started your academic career back in your home country, Finland, at the University of Turku, where you studied health biosciences. Then you joined as a Marie Curie Fellow at the group of Wolfgang Grutil in Graz. For your postdoc position, you switched to uh, Manfred Reitz lab in Marburg. And back then, you were still loyal to the academic research and biocatalysis as such. Uh, but then you switched to your first position in industry. What was actually your motive behind switching from the academic life, even as a postdoc, to an industrial position in Johnson Mather in Cambridge? Yeah, I, it's interesting because uh, I still remember back in the days doing my PhD and we had this career development discussion with Wolfgang. And I remember already that time saying that I would like to work in industry in the future. So I think it was always there at the background that I wanted to be on the application side of things and doing research towards uh, application. And that's, I think, how it all came to be. Can you also uh, tell us in a couple of words what was basically your duties at uh, Johnson Methe, maybe as superficial as possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Johnson Methe is basically a catalyst provider and they also do contract research. Um, I was there in the R&D section. I supported the development of the biocatalyst collection. And I also worked very closely with the bioproduction, with the commercialization of the enzymes and with, uh, with those contract research people. After four years in England, you joined Novartis in Switzerland. And I was curious, was there also a change in your tasks in the new uh, company environment? Yeah, so I think it was definitely a big change as such coming more from the chemical industry side into a pharmaceutical company. Um, so the point of view is kind of different. You come from the side where productivity and scalability is everything that matters. And then you come to the side where, where you also look for novel reactions. You look to support synthesis towards 
new compounds in the discovery phase. So that was all uh, very exciting. But then I think somehow in the end, everybody, like every one of us who work in biocatalysis, we are kind of on the same boat because all of us want that the enzymes perform, that we can catalyze cool reactions, that we can scale them up to a certain extent, um, and that we can help our colleagues in chemistry. So the basic work and the sort of basic philosophy behind it, that has not changed at all. That's actually quite a point. So uh, also going through your CV and uh, um, reading that you're from Finland, you switched your uh, country where you're living in quite some time. So you were in Austria, Germany, then England, then Switzerland. And I don't know, it uh, seems difficult on the first glance. So I was thinking, is there actually a coping strategy you developed to change uh, uh, all the times, uh, new work environments, and also uh, maybe the, the cultural background uh, in these uh, environments? I wish I had some good strategy, you know, if somebody has a formula how to how to do this, this, uh, please let me know. Um, personally, actually, I think that I have very little exposure in a sense to different countries and different cultures because I was always in Europe. I was always in, uh, in European cultural environment, let's say. Um, but there are definitely I think a couple of learnings that I try to keep in mind and which I think that help. One of them is that there are always multiple ways to come to a final goal or to reach that. That's the same in chemistry. That's the same, you know, in life in general. So I'm always trying to think that, okay, there is not only one way of doing things. You know, Finland is not uh, the, the country who has figured it all out and who knows how to do things best. You know, there are different approaches and that's, that's perfectly fine. And I think we need to kind of be open-minded and learn about that. Um, and another thing that I feel personally is that sometimes people are a bit perhaps like hesitant or afraid to ask others about their cultures, their heritage, their language, these kind of things, because, you know, we want to be polite. We don't want to offend anybody. But then um, if we don't ask those questions, if we don't want to learn, then we also miss that uh, opportunity. So I think uh, those things are probably, for me personally, the important things, like um, be sort of open-minded and be curious about people. You hear the listener, also some life uh, lessons in our podcast. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> sorry. After you finished your academic career, how well did you actually feel prepared for the tasks uh, you had to fulfill in the in the environment of uh, industrial uh, biocatalysis? Well, technically speaking, for sure, I wasn't prepared. I mean, how, how can you be in the, during the PhD and postdoc, you maybe work with a, with a few different enzyme classes, then uh, coming to the jobs that I have done, you try to work with all of them and more, you try to work with enzymes you have never heard of. Uh, so technically, for sure, there has been so much to learn. Um, but then if I think in general, the main learnings that you take from this PhD and postdoc times, they are related to how do I do research? Like, what is the question that I want to answer? How do I design the experiment that answers that question? 
Um, and also, how do I work with others? How do I support them? How can I help them to do their best research? How can I ask help when I need help? And I think those things are even more important than the technical stuff, because then the technical stuff, as long as you have that basis, then the technical stuff you learn. And I think I was personally super lucky because I came from groups um, where all that was very much promoted. You know, the, this help, the collaboration, all that, those were like very commonplace. And I was super lucky to experience that from early on. Well, Elena, so it seems that, that these two kind of worlds are not too different after all. Still, for us in academia, it is always interesting to hear an industry perspective. Which class of enzymes uh, or which methods uh, do you expect to arrive in industry uh, next? That is a super interesting question. And that's something that I'm, uh, that I'm thinking a lot because I wish that we can be prepared as a group for the needs of our chemistry colleagues. Um, so what I think, I think in the long run, we probably need to prepare ourselves to go a bit out of the small molecule transformations. Because if we look at the, um, the pharma pipelines of companies, there are a lot of uh, biologicals, um, different therapeutic methods. And uh, still, although with sort of a biological origin, they still need, uh, the manufacturing of them still need the support from the chemistry colleagues. So I think the question is, are we prepared to work on uh, biologics, on bioconjugation, on macromolecules, you know, proteins, peptides, sugars, oligonucleotides, these kind of things. I think this is something um, we need to look into going forward. But then at the same time, uh, on the small molecule side, chirality is still the question number one in different forms and with different functionalities. So that's, uh, of course, still the kind of day-to-day uh, -day job as well. Well, that's quite interesting. So there is, there is this big cliche among uh, the biocatalysis community that uh, there is a bias of uh, the of industry or of organic chemists in general um, towards biocatalytic systems. So you just mentioned that probably the biocatalytic community has to learn a bit, uh, a bit more handling bigger molecules. Um, still, how much of this bias is actually true? So um, how well arrived has biocatalysis in organic synthesis from your point of view? I think there is definitely a change, a slow change in the mindset. I, I believe earlier it was perhaps more difficult to convince people to apply enzymes. Um, one of the difficulties perhaps can be that sometimes you need to be able to imagine what could be before you actually have the ideal enzyme. Because often, especially towards manufacturing processes, enzyme engineering campaign is needed to get the productivity what you need. So you might need to try to convince sort of your colleagues to use enzyme before you actually have that ideal enzyme at hand. I think that that might have been kind of the difficult bit, but this is definitely changing. I think um, people just want to arrive to the final solution in the best possible way, 
regardless of the catalyst or regardless of the method. So if it's a metal, if it's an enzyme, doesn't really matter as long as the outcome is what we need it to be. Um, so in this way, but perhaps I have also been very lucky with the colleagues I'm surrounded with because I don't personally face a kind of a bias that, no, we don't want to use enzyme simply because we don't want to use enzyme. No, this this is not the way it is. I think people are open to this technology these days. Very well. So it's the pragmatic approach. Take whatever um, catalyst does the job best. Um, you just mentioned uh, that uh, proteins or enzymes need to be improved uh, before application. So. There is a lot of protein engineering. How do you approach protein engineering in industry or in your group? And what are the tools uh, that you use? Um, how would you describe this uh, engineering workflow? So I think the, um, at least in our industry, the enzyme engineering has sort of two reasons. One of them is to improve a particular enzyme towards a particular reaction so that we can be as productive as possible for manufacturing purposes. This is one thing. But the other thing is, um, how do we bring novel and kind of exciting enzymes to the level that we can deliver perhaps a gram of product or a certain milligram amount of product to the um, discovery stages that we also need? And those two different approaches I believe need a bit of different way of engineering. And in all cases, it really comes to the essay. Like if you want to be as productive as possible, how do you design your essay to screen the variants in a way that you target the later on process stages? What kind of concentration should be used? Like what is the target? How much higher activity are, are you expecting? Are you expecting higher stability of the enzyme or, or what are kind of the questions there? And then in the discovery stages where I'm actually more involved is more about the substrate scope. It's more about the rate improvement, but only to a certain extent. And then we kind of design the essay differently. And in the end, how the enzyme libraries are made in in practice in the end that perhaps has a bit of a less importance because as long as you can screen enough uh, with a certain throughput you will find improvements the question is really for me the main question is really how to design the essay in such a way that you come to your um, end point of interest um, I have one more question targeting the two worlds uh, that we live that we have so the again uh, the academic world and the industrial world so if academic researchers want to have the needs of uh, the industry in mind do you have any suggestions how to adapt our projects or what to focus on or uh, what to do to make the application of uh, the things we develop um, more straightforward in industry? Mm, this is also a question where people have very different opinions. I mean, some people definitely say that, yeah, they would wish that every academic paper at the end of the paper, they will scale the reaction to 100 millimolar substrate and they will show how well that works so that they have some sort of an indication that, okay, this is actually applicable um, on preparative scale. For me personally, I think that the academic research needs to be there to discover novel enzymes, to find new reactions, to find out and bring forward what is already there in nature, 
for me that is the exciting than the interesting part you know the you know for me there is no need to do design of experiment and uh, scale studies and uh, and whatever different reactor settings for me this is something that the industrial colleagues can do then later on I would rather see like, okay, how can I halogenate this molecule or, uh, you know, how can I put together this, um, these chiral centers or, you know, how can I address this atrop isomers or this spiral scaffold? You know, I'm more interested in that kind of stuff. But this is just a personal opinion. Very interesting. So all of us work together on filling that freezer of yours uh, with new enzymes and new activities. <laughs> yes, please. So that brings me already to my next question, because uh, uh, I'm curious now, how would you do, uh, design your biocatalytic dream reaction or a biocatalytic dream tool to work with enzymes? What would it be? Um, well... I, I think I might have some dreams in mind, which I don't want to reveal here. But one thing uh, for sure for me, actually, and this is not maybe very exciting, but is the P450 type chemistry. I mean, those enzymes do remarkable reactions, really cool stuff. But um, even to a gram scale, we have great uh, difficulties scaling up. Um, so that is maybe that is maybe something because you know you can use for late state functionalization you can use for uh, for cool things um, and maybe there are also other enzyme classes which are not yet on the on the applicability level of those uh, keto reductase and lipases and which would still be really useful so we need to work a bit uh, on those to to boost them. Yeah, maybe a P450 chemist uh, hears this and is uh, thinking now picking up that idea. Um, it really seems that, uh, especially in pharmaceutical departments, biocatalysis has now fully arrived in many companies. So what do you think is uh, the reasoning that it got more and more prominent in the recent time? Mm, chirality, steroselectivity, those, those are really still the main drivers, I think. And those are really the kind of things where enzymes can make a big impact as compared to other types of catalysis. So regarding the Biotrans 2021, uh, is there a special topic where you're already looking forward to and are you going to think that will excite you also a bit? Yeah, I think I, think I like to see those new enzymes, like new stuff, novel stuff, unpublished results. And also I'm looking forward to see all the people, all the colleagues. I really hope that we can be physically there in Graz. It seems you are very passionate about your job and at least from the outside perspective. So if someone is now hearing this and saying, Elina has a job that I also would like in the future, what would you uh, suggest to the person to actually get there? I have to say that, yeah, I mean, I'm super lucky I get to do what I really like. Um, I'm kind of in my dream job, so I think I have been very lucky in this regard. Um, I think that, yeah, maybe it's certain kind of flexibility to take the opportunity when the opportunity arises. I mean, what I mean is that, for instance, when the Johnson Matty job came up, I only had been in my postdoc position for a few months. So I was thinking, oh no, you know, I would really like to apply for this, 
but I have only been a few months in the postdoc. You know, I cannot uh, possibly leave now and apply for a job. But then I thought, okay, but if I don't apply for it now, how soon will another opportunity like this emerge? So although I was nervous, I talked to the professor and I have, again, I have been lucky that I have had people who have supported these choices. So then um, I was able to apply and uh, I somehow got the job. So perhaps it's a little bit of that, you know, to use the opportunity when you have it, maybe. I don't know. Would that also be sort of an advice you would uh, give uh, uh, you yourself back then when you were still a PhD student? Yes, maybe that. And perhaps another thing I would tell to myself is that don't be so nervous that you are not the most brilliant chemist in the world. You know, biocatalysis also need people who have a bit of understanding of chemistry, a bit of understanding of molecular biology, who can be on that interface. I think uh, when I was uh, when I was still in Graz and surrounded by all the brilliant people, I always felt that, oh, no, I'm, I'm not so good. I don't understand that. You know, I cannot uh, put together some kind of retrosynthesis of this massive molecule. It's fine. Later on, I figured that, okay, it's, uh, it's okay to be in the middle, in that interface, being able to talk to everybody, understand what things are, what the needs are, and uh, try to bring that into practice. That's all okay. Very motivating, I must say. So, Elena, in the next section, we ask you a couple of quick questions. This is kind of a surprise. Um, please just answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. What is your favorite enzyme or enzyme family? Kalbi is still my best friend. <laughs> what do you expect from a good paper? Tell also what didn't work. What is a scientific no-go for you, either in a paper or in a talk? That enzymes are green uh, catalyst. No, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you cannot talk like this on our podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Completely fine. What was the nicest or worst reviewer comment you ever got? No, I had I had good reviewers. I don't know. All constructive feedback. Very perfect. So let's keep it up like this. <laughs> How do you spend your time when you're not thinking about science? Running after my one-year-old son. What about Graz can you recommend to people visiting Graz for the first time, maybe next summer for the Biotrans 2021? Yeah, absolutely. Lovely place. Fun people. Is there a specific place you would recommend? Um, I think the University of Graz and the chemistry labs there. <laughs> so thanks, Elena, for joining us for this interview. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you also for my side. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Join us also the next time when we talk with the next person about uh, his or her lecture at the Biotrans 2021. If you have any feedback or questions, post it on the Biotrans Twitter account or send us an email. So today I also want to mention my first uh, Biotrans. So my first Biotrans uh, was that one in Vienna, 2015. So a place not so far from here, but it still was actually quite uh, astonishing for me. So before I was mostly on congresses uh, where people were talking about organic synthesis. So a whole congress where everybody is knowing what you're talking about when you talk about uh, Biotransformations was quite a game changer for me. 
Okay, so also seeing the people live, which you before only knew from the papers, uh, also did it quite for me. So maybe that got me quite hooked as an early PhD back then. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons by license, which allows rework and redistribution as long as credit is given and any adaption is licensed under similar terms.